Support for this podcast comes from Eightfold.ai. Eightfold.ai delivers the talent intelligence platform, the most effective way for companies to retain top performers, upskill and reskill the workforce, recruit top talent efficiently, and reach diversity goals. Eightfold.ai's deep learning artificial intelligence platform empowers enterprises to turn talent management into a competitive advantage. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 398 of the Recruiting Future podcast. One of the things I've been doing on the show this year is investigating new technologies in the assessment market. As the speed of adoption increases, it's essential that we understand the actual science behind what's being developed. I've always been fascinated by language and what we might be able to learn from the words that people use. With that in mind, I was very keen to talk to this week's guest. Mike Derland is CEO of Receptivity. Receptivity has a robust scientific methodology that uses language data to uncover emotions, personality and psychology. This is essentially an interview in two parts. In the first half of our conversation, Mike talks about what we can learn from applying science to language. In the second half of the conversation, he shares some important insights that receptivity has uncovered about the effect of remote and hybrid working on different parts of the workforce. It's fascinating stuff. Hi, Mike, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? I would love to. My name is Mike Derland. Um, and again, thank you very much for inviting me to join you uh, today. And also would like to say congratulations to you on this fantastic podcast. I think you're approaching your 400th uh, episode, which is amazing. Uh, a little bit of my background uh, I am currently helping to lead a very interesting company called Receptivity. Um, I was a longtime C-suite executive at a large global financial institution based in Canada. I also have an academic background. I have a PhD in management, uh, and I've always been very deeply fascinated by people. I spent many years uh, coaching in amateur sport. Uh, my father was a was a coach. I've always been a student of leadership, uh, fascinated by how we build high-performance teams, what makes good people do good, what makes good people do bad, uh, the secret life of culture, and so on. I've also always been deeply interested in technology. I started my career in technology was very actively involved in technology during my executive career. I was a client of this company called Receptivity. And as a client, I got to know the team, began to dig into the science, got a sense of the insights that they can derive. And I was really blown away. I started investing in the company. And a year and a half ago, I joined the team to lead the company. Um, maybe a little bit of background just on receptivity. 
Receptivity is a people insights company. We help our clients derive important uh, business outcomes based on better understanding the people that are important to them. We study how people speak, how they communicate. We study their language, their choice of words in written text, in spoken text of whatever form. And from this everyday language, we derive really useful and actionable insights. These insights help our clients understand the emotions, uh, personalities, drives, needs, values, emotional health of people who are important to them. And we can do this at depth, but we can also do this at scale. Uh, the insights might be on an individual person. For example, we might be interested in recruitment or perhaps succession planning, or the insights can be more at the group level where we understand group dynamics, power imbalances, organizational health, so on. And we do this every day. That's all we do. We're a people insight company. Our company is filled with people with backgrounds in psychology, linguistics, data science, but also with people who have spent years of their lives working in large companies involved in senior levels of management, who have built teams, been part of large cultures, and who understand deeply our mission as a company. So that's a little bit of background. Fantastic stuff. And there are a few reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. I mean, I think, first of all, one of the things that we've been exploring in recent weeks and months, emerging ways to do assessment, to, to make decisions about, about people. And I'm very interested in talking about how your tool can be used in things like recruiting a little bit later in the conversation. But, but actually, I am absolutely fascinated by language and how we use it and how other people use it and what we can learn about people from their language and what really sort of stood out for me about your organization is the the, the depth of science that sits behind it because I think there are lots of interesting tools on the market that assess people in different ways but but not many of them are kind of based on the the sort of robust science that we would hope they were and obviously your organization has 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 a very very strong scientific background to it tell us about the 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 science behind what you do and, and how it works and, and the kind of insights it can produce. Sure. So receptivity was co-founded by a quite famous scientist named James Pennebaker. Um, Jamie made several significant and important contributions to our understanding of social psychology, but perhaps is most important is the work that he has done studying the relationship between our psychology and our language. When we are depressed or anxious or fearful or maybe self-absorbed or achievement-oriented or analytic or authentic, how do we communicate? This work led to the development of an important algorithm which is known as Luke. And for those who are interested, Jamie wrote a great little book called The Secret Life of Pronouns, which is a, it's a quick read, great introduction to the science behind we, what we do. But the gist is as follows. The way we communicate are sometimes subtle and sometimes not so subtle choices of words provides an amazing window into who we are. For example, when we're focused on ourselves, 
we use the words I, me, my. Uh, we use these words a lot, and we all recognize this example. And we can think of cases where we've been in the room with a person who spoke that way, who said, I did this, I know him, I think that my view is. This is in contrast to a person who is more team-oriented, that uses a broader set of social words, words like we, team, family, together. This team made this happen. We should all feel very proud of this accomplishment. Together we can do this. Remember, we are a family. That's very different than I did this, I know him, I think that, so forth. Another simple example are emotion words. Our emotion words also reveal a lot. Are we excited or are we angry? Are we fearful or are we thankful? Are we curious or are we bored? Do we express a lot of emotion or do we express a little emotion? Um, the core part of our science is derived from this algorithm called Luke. And it, at its very, very, very simplest form, Luke counts words. But what makes Luke so interesting is the words that it counts. We map words, common words, words that are used frequently in everyday language. We map these into categories that are psychologically purposeful, designed to help us derive insights into the person behind the words. Um, and we'll go into a little bit more detail in, in how do we map those um, you know, into important measures and insights. Absolutely. I mean, I could talk about the science behind language all day, but I think we probably need to make this a little bit more tangible for the for the people listening. So obviously, a big proportion of the audience is working in talent acquisition and, and recruiting. You know, they may recognize some of this thinking around language through other things that they've done and looked at. But tell us about how your type of technology can be used in recruiting and, and how it can drive better outcomes. Yeah, sure. So broadly speaking, there are, I guess, a couple ways that we support our clients in the area of recruiting. Uh, one is to augment their existing process. And perhaps the other end of that spectrum, we are maybe automating a process to work at scale. Let's start with the augmentation approach. Um, the goal in recruiting, obviously, is to gain as much understanding as we possibly can about each of the potential candidates. And ultimately, the goal is to select the best candidate. Uh, and it's a challenging exercise. And what makes this challenging most of the time is that we're assessing people that are total strangers. So uh, there are a variety of tools and techniques that we already use to make these assessments. Um, depending on the nature of the person that we're recruiting, seniority role, we might use self-assessments. Candidate might be interviewed by a variety of people, each of whom will assess the person. These interviews provide a great source of language or text that we can study. And by studying this language, we can add another voice to the process help provide an independent and hopefully unbiased assessment of this candidate, each candidate across 
a set of attributes uh, that are deemed to be important for the job in question. So things like uh, what is the candidate's personality? Uh, what drives them? What motivates them? Uh, are they driven by reward, achievement? Uh, are they self-focused? Are they team players? All of these things we can help uh, derive from language. And of course, what we can do at depth, we can do at scale. So we can process millions of words in a, sec in a second. And as a result, uh, many of our clients use our insight engine to, um, to hire at volume uh, for jobs like call centers, security guards, even for things like university admissions. A practical question about how does your system get the the language sort of loaded loaded into it? Is it are these from transcriptions or recordings? What's the what's the practicalities around it? Yeah, so for a lot of our um, interview uh, type of use cases, they're transcriptions. A lot of interviews now done on platforms like Zoom, which provides transcriptions. Um, in many cases, there are uh, chatbot tools that are conducting more voluminous uh, interviews, could be collected that way. Uh, whatever the source of language is, we can figure out how to get it transcribed and into uh, machine-readable form. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers interesting and, I, and that really sort of fits in with the way that the interviewing has, has has developed over the last over the last couple of years a couple of times you've alluded to the fact that, that your science can work in the sort of the broader hr sphere at a at a team level obviously organizations are, are in a sort of quite unique situation at the moment in terms of disruption because of the the pandemic people working from home people coming back into the office have you done any works around that sort of at that team level in terms of productivity and where people are working and what work now looks like yeah, um, very, very much uh, kind of central to some of the things that we've been working on in this last crazy uh, 18 and a half months or so. Um, you know, these questions around COVID, work from home, have been uh, kind of central to the thinking of a lot of HR uh, departments around the world. Um, at the onset of COVID, we did 
some really interesting work studying the effect of COVID and this immediate need to work from home. What, what, what effect was that having on uh, employees? And the results were really, really interesting. In terms of emotion, once the initial shock of COVID was absorbed, most employees we studied were actually happier than they were prior to COVID. In fact, anger levels were well below the pre-COVID baseline. In terms of social, people showed empathy, care for others, and less inward focus, which we thought was very fascinating. There was this sense of isolation. Uh, there was definitely this feeling of a lack of affiliation. Um, and that was especially prevalent for more junior employees. In the work we did, we observed a reduction in cohesion and significant narrowing of the internal networks of collaboration. So, you know, I had fewer people that I was communicating with uh, than I had prior to uh, COVID. Um, there was, people were more authentic. Uh, they were actually as engaged, if not more engaged. Uh, they were responsive um, and showed signs that they were very much uh, engaged in a normal workday. If I was to select one point to highlight from that study, the effects of COVID were very different for those at the bottom of the organizational hierarchy than for those at the top. Uh, there was stress and anxiety throughout the organization, but in general, the more junior you were, the more stress you felt, the more isolated you felt, uh, and the more senior you were, the more resilience you showed, uh, which we think, you know, we, we found that to be completely fascinating. Um, more recently, we've been doing work you know, now that COVID has um, kind of, well, we feel like it's running its course. Maybe the recent news suggests that it hasn't, but people are starting to talk about getting back to work and what work looks like in this, in this post-COVID uh, world. And we've been doing quite a bit of work uh, studying how people perceive or feel about coming back to the old physical office and uh, how they feel about maybe adopting more hybrid work models and so forth. Um, so we worked with several companies to identify, firstly, how are they feeling about workplace safety? How are they feeling about vaccination mandates, about mask wearing, about social distancing, about the company you know, providing the safety pro protocols to, you know, help provide a safe workplace. The general conclusion that we're driving, uh, we're deriving is that people are worried about this. Um, there is fear. They're not convinced that the office protocols will work. Um, they're not convinced that the co-workers will respect the protocol. So there's still, uh, in our analysis, quite a bit of trepidation around this. We also have done quite a bit of work around issues 
like productivity and work-life balance, um, remote working tools like Zoom. And our results are also quite interesting. They suggest that many employees really do enjoy working from home. They appreciate the autonomy that comes with it. They are embracing these remote working tools. They love the flexibility, the self-agency. Um, but there are some really interesting demographic differences. So for one large company we studied, we found that first-year employees, especially younger employees in general, they really wanted to come back to the office. Uh, they wanted to get back in there to meet with their uh, fellow co-workers to learn from them, I guess, you know, earlier on uh, kind of getting a sense of what the place is all about is important. The older you get, the more you are quite happy to have made this kind of work-life balance shift. Um, so some really, really interesting insights that, that some of which I think were somewhat surprising others that I guess were maybe a little bit more expected, but, um, all quite interesting and, and all quite actionable as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's good to get some analysis of those issues that comes from a, a different direction than straight surveys or opinion and all those kind of things that tend to dominate discussion when we're, when we're talking about them. A final question for you, which is really two questions, uh, which, is, which is about the future. First of all, what's the future for your tool, your science? Where do you think you will be adding value to organizations in the future? And then the, the second half of the question is, is really, again, about the workplace from, from from what you're seeing what should companies do next based on the kind of the data that's that's coming through yeah maybe I'll start with that second question and then end with the with that first question if you don't mind you know it's been fascinating for me to look at the world through this unique new lens and I keep thinking back to my days as a senior executive and um you know, all the people that I work with throughout the years. Uh, and I find myself connecting lots of dots. Um, you know, we at Receptivity do a lot of work in the mental health space. And some of that's clinical mental health, but a lot of it is also organizational health. Um, you know, we spend so much of our adult, adult life at work. And in some cases that can bring us great pleasure, but, you know, in too many cases, work is this, you know, source of stress and, and anxiety. And many of our employees don't have that positive relationship with their work that we'd, we'd like them to have. And why is that? You know, is it because we think that people need stress to perform that because the science tells us that isn't true? Or is it because we just don't have the means to measure and monitor our workforce in a way that enables us to really actually manage this? You know, large organizations are tricky. Like they're very complex. And um, information doesn't always flow the way we think it should. And so many ways we in senior roles, 
we work in the dark. And, um, you know, some companies, maybe they don't care too much about culture, about their employees' relationship to work. But the reality is uh, that most do. Uh, they want to provide a place where good people can work, uh, where they can be their authentic selves, where they can be productive, uh, can achieve their goals. What they lacked often are the tools to help create and sustain these environments. And especially in the midst of change and, and all the pressures that businesses around the world face today, um, but it's hard to focus on the things that you can't measure. And I hold the belief that um, most companies want to provide a great place to work. COVID has been this, you know, potential pivot point. There's been a lot of talk about this thing, you know, the great resignation. And that probably has been overplayed. But I do think that COVID will have a lasting effect on attitudes, on personal priorities. I think many people have embraced the changes that have occurred because of COVID. For the first time in their work life, they have the ability to be their authentic selves. Uh, in many cases, their relationship to work has changed for the better and their ability to connect that relationship to other parts of their life has changed significantly. So to sum this all up, um, you know, my, my kind of vision of the future is, is more of a hope really that, you know, we will learn from this grow this great social experiment that we call COVID. We will take all the good, put it to proper use, we will make real sustainable improvements in the way people relate to work. We will reduce stress, hopefully improve productivity. And my hope for receptivity is that we at receptivity can play a small but meaningful part in making this a bit more of a reality. Absolutely. And just to finish off by telling us just that little bit about your vision for the future in terms of your science and your, and your, and your product. Yeah, we're very excited about, um, about our business. Um, we're a very young company. The science itself has been around for a long time relative to the age of the company, but we're still a young company. Very excited about the type of engagement that we're getting amongst our clients uh, we're growing every day. Uh, so our job is to nurture this this young team into a great company and do really wonderful things for all of our clients uh, and hopefully give them insights that can lead to better outcomes, uh, help them understand their people better, help them understand their cultures better, uh, help them build uh, better workplaces. Mike, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. My thanks to Mike. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future.
You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.